Section 2 of Melor of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Melor of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages by David Byrne. The Brother of the Apples. The wistful looks of the children as they passed the fruit-filled orchard troubled him. The longing looks of them, the half-averted gaze of the sorely tempted, the shamefacedness of the scrupulous among them who feared they had already broken the tenth commandment, all this disturbed the soul of the old gardener brother. In truth, a good man, this brother Godfrey, and an arboriculturist of repute, great in grafting and pruning, wonderful in his knowledge of the ways of the tree. Doubtless the orchards of Glastonbury bore marvellous fruit. Certainly the laden boughs of Malmesbury made pictures, as well as pies for the pilgrim. The apples of Croyland had name and fame throughout the land. The pears cultivated by the good Cistercians of Warden, and the huge Warden pies made by these non-meat-eating monks were in renown but for an orchard that was verily a forest of fruit and a natural cloister of incomparable coolness i sing the praises of that of which brother godfrey was the guardian it was not an apple garth of yesterday planted when were built the great cloisters that on one side at least were its boundary it contained many a tree past bearing many a bough that the coming winds of winter would bring to earth many a gnarled and twisted trunk upon which only the mistletoe flourished, many a moss-grown hollow bowl that the woodman would fain have removed. But what booted it, asked Brother Godfrey, that a few useless trees should stand here and there among the laden boughs that filled the croft from end to end? Had they not once yielded fruit to the eater? Yea, and to the thirsting traveller the cool and sparkling cider. No mere hive of drones was this big Benedictine abbey in the sweet west country, once a wilderness of weeds and a tangle of thorns overrun by the wolf and the wild boar. Coming to it when he himself was a young boy, Brother Godfrey had found it much as it was today, a little more perfect in detail now, perhaps somewhat larger in area, and its walls filled with an ever-growing community. He had begun his life as a garden boy, and coming into the autumn time, in this month of rich September, the first task appointed him had been the stripping of some of these very boughs. Fifty years ago, yet how well he remembered it! Nay, the recollection made him smile, and when the good lay brother smiled, he looked the man he was, a happy and a holy monk. Yet holy man as he was, he smiled at the recollection of a fault, at nothing less than his first breach of the rule. For unthinkingly, as he plucked the rosy fruit from the boughs, he had lifted an apple to his mouth, had tasted it, and found it was honey-sweet and good, had eaten it with relish and a clear conscience. The brothers with him must have seen the deed, but honest men— they had made no sign either of knowledge or of disapproval. 
Not many days after, it fell out that the novice master reached his instruction on that portion of the rule which forbids promiscuous eating. Then, to the seeming enormity of his fault, were the eyes of the boy novice suddenly opened. He trembled as he sat upon his bench of stone, listening to the grave voice of the novice master. Would it cost him the habit to which he so longingly aspired? Would he be shut up in the abbey prison for a space, like the truant scholar he had seen conducted thither that very morning with the gyves upon his feet? Or would he be publicly flogged and sent back to his sorrow-stricken parents? Fearfully and brokenly, and as one expecting no mercy, the boy sought his novice master and made known his fault. Surely in all his life he had not wept so long or so bitterly as on that doleful day. And behold, the young and stern Father Michael listened sympathetically and did not even scold him. Like the dear Holy Father he was, he dried the penitent's tears and gave him the consolation of a saintly instructor, comforted and consoled him, even while he explained the rule which forbade the eating out of mealtimes, and he gave him a trifling penance for his fault. Yes, such a little penance. You will find, my son, that there will be apples on the refectory table today and through the bounty of God for many days and weeks. Today, my child, you may abstain from fruit. Not for that day only, but for several days did Brother Godfrey punish himself. But oh, how good the apples tasted afterwards. Today he laughed at the recollection, and yet the laughter quickly left his face, and he sighed deeply. The thought of the wistful looks of the village laddies as they passed the orchard gate, and the remembrance of something that Father Ambrose had told him the day before, made Brother Godfrey sad. For the zealous Father Ambrose had the spiritual care of the big hamlet outside the abbey gates. The thorpe that lay so close and almost plastered like a martin's nest to those old walls. The village that, like so many proud English cities, would never have existed but for the coming of the monks. It was Father Ambrose indeed who had to mingle in that little outside world, and like the monk of Arthur's time, knowing every honest face of theirs as well as ever shepherd knew his sheep, and every homely secret in their hearts, delight himself with gossip and old wives, and ills and aches and teethings, lyings in and mirthful sayings, children of the place that have no meaning half a league away, or lulling random squabbles when they rise, chafferings and chatterings of the market cross. Rejoice, small man, in this small world of his, yes, even in their hens and in their eggs and, be it added, in their apples. For the summer had been less sunny than usual, and as the village lay at the abbey entrance low down in the valley, its little apple garths had not caught the heat that struck the monastery orchard on the slope of the hill, and so this year many of their trees were all but fruitless. The thought of this troubled Brother Godfrey, nay, it hurt him and haunted him, it followed him to refectory and dormitory and church. It pained him most when he heard the chorus of high eager voices commenting upon his own harvest of apples. 
It came back whenever he heard the beat of wooden shoes on the stone floor of the cloister. That night, before the statue of Our Lady of Pity, he spoke about the matter long and lovingly to the Holy Child and his Blessed Mother. The sub-prior was a good man with a dread of children and no taste for apples. He was a man indeed with anything but a healthy appetite for food of any sort, and his many infirmities were a much greater trial to himself than to those with whom he had to do. An able and a holy man was Father Thomas, but one who would never be elected to a higher post than that of sub-prior. He was, in truth, rather a hard man and difficult to deal with. Nevertheless, he was Brother Godfrey's immediate superior at the time, and when the simple man spoke to him of the abundance of apples and the many children a good God had sent into the world to eat them, Father Thomas rebuked him roundly, bade him attend to the duties of his office, and leave the children to those who had charge of them. Now, because of the cider that was made in the abbey, the cellarer, always an important official, had ever to be consulted in regard to the disposition of apples, and it was he who arranged with Brother Godfrey and the cook as to the winter store of this useful fruit. With the cellarer, then, did the old lay brother put in his plea for the children, hoping that this good father would try to obtain the consent of the prior. But the cellarer took alarm from the beginning. With a big community like ours, brother, we can't have too many apples. It's simply impossible. There is hardly a barrel of cider left from last year, and you're forgetting the number of new novices we've received since last Christmas. All young, too, most of them growing boys, all apple eaters in truth. We must feed our own first. But I'll think about it. Yes, said the cellarer, jingling his keys. I'll certainly think about it. I will indeed, brother. Then did Brother Godfrey turn him to the father prior. It was an unfortunate moment. The good prior was sorely troubled with a debt that was overdue, a debt that could not have existed but for the failure of last year's wheat harvest. You and your children, he ejaculated, but not ill-naturedly. They want bread more than apples, some of them, and when the snow comes, where will they get it, save at the abbey here? And where shall we get it if the winter is long and hard? The prior went on his way deep in thought, troubled a little by the duties of his office, troubled much by the fear of debt, but more than trustful to the providence that for so many centuries had blessed this Domus Dei. Brother Godfrey sighed. He had done his best for the children he loved, and he had failed. They must go sadly and appleless, but he, Brother Godfrey, must get him to the orchard and pick up the windfalls of the night. Yes, he needed his biggest basket this morning. All during the past long night the wind had roared and raved until, at matin time, it all but drowned the voices of the chanting monks. But at prime it had suddenly subsided, and now the sun shone warmly on the sweet September world, drying the raindrops that lay upon the crimson and yellow apples like tears upon the cheeks of children. His biggest basket, yes, but all his baskets would be needed today. What a rain of ruddy and golden fruit! The grass of the orchard seemed covered with the ripe and juicy apples, 
Speedily did Brother Godfrey fill his wicker hamper. Less speedily did he bear it to the abbey kitchen. And there the brother saw a sight that gave him pause. How could he have forgotten so great a vigil? Tomorrow was it not the feast of St. Michael? Of a truth he had not thought of it until he saw the young novices, a little crowd of them, sitting in the outer kitchens, plucking the Michaelmas geese. Beautiful birds they were, hatched and reared on the abbey farm, big and soft and plump, and with feathers white as snow. And there stood a knot of choir monks from the scriptorium, keenly examining the quality of the quills, carefully laying them aside and tying them in bundles. The sight made Brother Godfrey very glad. He would pray to St. Wolston that neither the thought nor the smell of roast goose might visit him within the minster walls, for, thought the simple old man, I might never be able to take the resolution of that holy bishop and forswear the flesh of this bonny bird forever. But the brother was thinking more of other things than of roast goose. The feast of St. Michael was one of the greatest of the year in this house of strict observance of days of fasting and abstinence, as well as of feasts, for it was ruled by Abbot Michael, and was it not that holy man's feast day? After some necessary conversation with the cook, whose need of apples was this morning more pressing than ever, Brother Godfrey went back to the orchard, accompanied by two young novices with their baskets. They walked in silence, but the boys could not but see that the old man smiled as he walked. A delightful thought had entered his mind, and as he passed a certain apple tree he stopped and looked upon it with growing pleasure. Quickly the sturdy boy novices filled their baskets and returned to the kitchen. Then Brother Godfrey, for all his sixty-two years, got a big ladder and reared it against one particular tree. It was the choicest in the orchard. In the brother's mind, and in his speech, it was ever the abbot's tree. It was old and gnarled and strangely twisted. It bore little fruit, but that little was the most honeyed in the entire goth. Year by year on this day, it had been Brother Godfrey's privilege to bear a dish of apples to the abbot's cell. Year by year the gardener had picked the russet-coated sweetlings for the Michaelmas banquet. Now the abbot Michael was very old, and because of his great age, ninety-three years or more, the rule of the community devolved largely upon the father prior. Seldom indeed was the holy man seen, saving at the altar and in choir, and though his children loved him well, and he ever held himself accessible to them, the infirmarian in whose charge he was did not encourage many visits to the abbot's cell. But on his feast day, after the solemn mass at nine o'clock, it was known that he would expect to see his subjects, or rather their representatives, and to receive their congratulations. Happy were the monks of the scriptorium who had completed a great psalter, written in black and red, and wonderfully illuminated, for presentation to their father, on this particular day. But equally happy was Brother Godfrey, who had asked and obtained leave to carry a silver dish of apples to his old novice master and his lifelong friend. Old in years was Abbot Michael, but young in heart. 
youthful with the youthfulness of the saints, joyous with the joyousness of the true ascetic. He received Brother Godfrey with affectionate delight. Nay, my son, you shall not remain upon your knee, he said, pointing to a stool that stood by his chair. Sit here, my child, and let us talk a while of past days. You are one of the last of my own novices, are you not, brother? Yes, one of the last. You make me feel very ancient, for you yourself are beginning to look old. Yet I remember your coming so well, a red-cheeked, curly-headed little lad, with such a shy smile and such an innocent look. Nay, brother, and the look did not belie you. The venerable abbot took the lay brother's rough hand in his own thin palm and pressed it affectionately. And you bring me apples, the abbot went on. You bring me the fruits of your own labor, the same good apples, too, that you've brought me year after year. It is wonderful. This can scarcely happen again, dear brother. The days of my years are almost fulfilled. I cannot expect to keep another Michaelmas on earth. My son, I would have you ask a boon of me. Never yet have you permitted your father to bestow aught upon you but his blessing. That indeed you shall have. But I would entreat you to ask me some favor, some... It was at this point that Brother Godfrey surprised both the abbot and himself. The simple man marveled at the rush of words that suddenly flowed from his lips. He did not know that a warm heart makes for eloquence, and that a great opportunity loosens the strings of speech. But he did wonder, both then and afterwards, at his own courageous fluency. Not forgetting to tell the abbot of his talk with the sub-prior, with the cellarer, and with the prior, Brother Godfrey earnestly and all but tearfully proffered his request. He asked a privilege for himself and for all future custodians of the orchard. Throwing himself again on his knees, he begged that a certain measure of apples might be reserved for the children of the village forever. Call the prior, the sub-prior, and the cellarer, the abbot said with a smile, and ask them to be provided with parchment and ink and pens. And so it fell about that on this feast of St. Michael, the brother of the apples received a document granting him and his successors plenary power to bestow upon all and sundry of the children of the Thorpe, but especially upon the progeny of the very poor, abundant and unstinted measure of ripe apples forever. End of section 2